Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show, W2 Prison Break Nation. I am very excited about today's guest and today's topic, which is franchising, something that I looked at extensively when I was in my W-2 job, because that was one of the ways that I thought I could get out of my W-2 job. I never did anything because I just didn't understand it. And it was too much money. And I just, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure. And when I'm unsure of stuff, I just don't invest in it. So Yul Smith is our guest today. He helps people buy their first franchise so they can fire their boss. Had to have him on the show. You're going to learn about all the different franchises you can start. And maybe you'll hear an idea that will really get the wheels turning and have you start thinking differently about franchising. Let's get right to the episode in Yule Smith. Hey, Yule, welcome to the W2 Prison Break Show, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, sir. Hey, you had a good, uh, good Christmas? Yeah, yeah, sure did. Always nice to be around family. It's also nice when they, when they leave and they're, some of them are listening to that. So don't take that personally. It's, you know, it's not, they're probably happy they left too, but um, no, it was... It was great. I'm super excited about today's topic, which is yeah. how to start your first franchise so you can fire sure. your boss. I love that. But mm-hmm. before we get into that, I want to ask you about your, we're talking a little about offline about your moment, your ulcer moment. So take us back and, and talk to us about how you got to this point now. Starting out in my career, my first job was uh, actually waiting tables at Applebee's when I graduated with a psychology degree from LSU. So I was really ill-prepared. So I decided I'm going to go back and get my MBA. And I got my MBA and my first, quote, professional job in the big office tower, glass wall, glass ceilings, glass walls, everything, you know. It was just, I was stuck. The owner of the business, there's a publishing firm. And I'm grateful for what, grateful for the opportunity, but it was the wrong job for me. And the owner of the business put me in a gray, gray cubicle. I call it a gray cubicle cell. And it was in the back of the room and it wasn't much bigger than the desk I'm sitting at, except I had walls around me, little gray walls that you could put thumbtacks into the wall. And I was stuck in that. And the job that they gave me was a circulation job and a a fraction of marketing, which I really liked the marketing piece. Mm -hmm. 95% of the job was, was circulation, which is, which is making sure the magazines get out into the public. Very repetitive, very routine. I'm highly ADHD. And I literally, at the age of 24 years old, I had my one and only ulcer. And I'm like, well, this is crazy. I'm 24 years old and I've got an ulcer. It's the only time that's ever happened to me. Hmm. And I'm like, this, this is insane. Why would I stay in this? And so many people decide to stay in something out of fear for leaving. I had, at that point, I'm like, that, that's great. Yeah, it, it was absolutely insane for me to do that. So I became very intentional to try to figure out what it is I really enjoy doing. And I'm very, very fortunate. I ended up in the trade association business and then ended up leading three nonprofit trade associations in the, in the commodities markets. That I've found my passion. The, big, the, the longest tenure was with the Louisiana Seafood Promotion and Marketing Board. I considered I had the best job in the state of Louisiana, promoting Louisiana seafood. And, but it wasn't easy. By a long shot. I mean, I learned the value of service doing that job because it, before Hurricane Katrina, we would put chefs on TV and it was exciting. We would do the marketing. It was exciting. And there was a purpose there because you're serving the industry. Hmm. It really became purpose-driven after Katrina. 
because all of a sudden the marketing was more than just the marketing to promote the product. It was the marketing to save an industry. The seafood industry, multi-billion dollar industry, lost our sales. We lost billions of dollars of sales. We had to rebuild that. Yeah. Between Katrina and Rita, we lost three of America's largest commercial fishing docks in, in, a, in a span of a month. So you learn, you learn a lot. So I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs through that process. My entrepreneurial jump was to use a domain in 2010, right before the BP oil spill. While I was still serving, I was giving me my side hustle. Yeah. I created a website for sales and marketing jobs. I paid a lot of money to do the website on the side. And then about three weeks after I launched my website, the closedeal.com website, which we'll talk about in a second, the BP oil spill happened. And I knew when that happened, my life was going to be turned upside down. Sure enough, within two weeks, I had to shut down the site because it became 100-hour weeks. We lost 98% of our, of our seafood industry, seafood sales, billions. We lost 98% of it globally by the time they capped that well. Yeah. So you learn how to overcome those challenges. I learned the value of service through that process. Having served entrepreneurs my entire career and working with entrepreneurs and consulting with entrepreneurs, the, the leap to franchising was a natural progression for me. And I had started while I was working with my last franchise, last trade association in the logging industry, two, two most dangerous jobs in the United States on a per capita basis, fishing, commercial fishing and logging. While I was in that job, I started a side hustle with my podcast, close the deal.com. I, I was literally just doing it once a month just to see if I enjoyed doing it. Yeah. And I learned about podcasting through all the crisis media work we would do in through the BP oil spill. Some guy came up to me with a, one interview me with a podcast in 2010. I'm like, what's a podcast? <laughs> so, I mean, we were doing all this national media and like this guy should, but it got my attention. So I started a podcast while I was in my last, my last trade association gig. I fell in love with it. I enjoyed doing it. And I was interviewing entrepreneurs and then I grew it. That started to grow. I'm like, okay, well, let's start interviewing franchisors. And I got to the franchisors and that's, and that's, that's been my journey since. Yeah. Good share. Thanks for, I mean, it took you a while to figure out what your passion was and, and land here. How long, I was curious, you know, after you had the old sort 24, how long did you stay in that job? Did you like leave the next oh, day? Oh, I left in a month. A month. Like, okay. This is, this, is just, this is insanity. I mean, my, at 24 years old, when your health starts deteriorating like that, because you're in a job that's so stressful. Mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't just, and, and this is the thing too, is I'm really grateful for that job too, because even though I was there for 14 months, there are, there are many New Orleans is a very small community. I'm based in New Orleans. Yeah. I'm still friends with a lot of people I worked with all those years ago. I, built, I'm, I love building relationships. I've stayed in touch with a lot of those folks. And it did give me a snapshot into the marketing piece, right. which it opened the door for me to really pursue that journey, which is which led me to most, most of my career has been centered around the marketing and the promotions and consulting. Yeah. Well, good that you put a positive spin on that because you, if you didn't have that job, you wouldn't have had that moment and you and I probably wouldn't be talking right now. There's a real good chance that's, that would be the case. That's correct. Yeah. 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 So it's important to do that. Okay. Franchising. I mean, I, we're on the edge of our seat here, by the way, close the deal.com. What a great. So, I mean, I'm a little jealous that you were able to snag that domain. So good on you for getting that, yeah. getting that thing. I looked at free before I left my W2, you know, almost four years ago. I looked at franchising quite a bit. I looked at, I'll tell you a couple that I looked at. I looked at, you know, I used to eat at Jimmy John's all the time, but mm -hmm. you know, that great. I was like, this is, great this brand. is a no brainer. And you know, I looked at a couple other ones, but there's so many unknowns and then the cost and just, Hey, can I do this? Am I cut out for this? 
And I just, if I don't understand something, I don't invest in it. I think maybe a lot of the listeners are probably similar to that. Absolutely. So let's talk about maybe, first of all, what is franchising? And then maybe talk about what some of the myths are and what are some of the questions that people ask and how do we get into this? Because again, we're trying to leave our job and I think a lot of people are looking at this as a way to get out of the W-2. I'd say the, the, the most obvious question I'm asked all the time is they think McDonald's, you know, it's because there's only 34,000 of them around the globe. You know? yeah. So everybody thinks that's the franchise model that they, they need to be in the food business. You know, Jimmy John's like you, Jimmy mm-hmm. John's, right? They think that's the route they need to go. And there's a lot of other routes they can go because there's over 4,000 franchises available in the United States alone. The, the McDo- and, and McDonald's is just the starting cash position is really high. And it's in the millions to invest and to open one. So that really is out of reach of a lot of people. Yeah. Whereas the average franchise in the United States, the ones we work with, I'm, I'm a member of a group called IFPG. I have an inventory of over 630 different franchises we work with. And the average cost to get in most of them are going to be about 75000 to 285300 on the high end. Okay. So it's in reach when you start looking at the financial, finance options. So that's when people are like, okay. And then you open people's minds. Uh, They they think it's McDonald's. They think it's Jimmy John's. And brick and mortar, by the way, is expensive. When you're looking at restaurants, you know, it's going to be on the higher end because you're going to need that retail space Mm -hmm. to build out the space. I focus on, I have a few food franchises I work with. I do a lot of franchises that are not in the food sector as well that have even way significantly better margins. Nice. But what is a franchise? A franchise is basically an agreement where you're going to buy into a system, a company that has systems and processes. And that's what makes franchising work. I'll tell you this as a side note, one in seven franchises are owned by a veteran. And there's a reason for that. You think about veterans when they come out the military, they've been trained. And the only way the military functions is through systems and processes. So they are very used to that that model and they thrive in that. That's why one out of seven are owned by a veteran. And that's what makes it possible for a small business to scale and to grow. I watched Popeye's grow in Louisiana. I watched it from my childhood. Watch Al Copeland build that thing from a small two, three locations right around the corner from my house where I grew up to now it's like 4,000 locations plus around the globe. Without the systems and processes, nothing happens. Yeah. And there are many mom and pop businesses that never grow beyond one or two locations. So what somebody's getting when they invest into a franchise is they're getting the systems and the processes. They're getting the, 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 the intellectual property, which is the branding. They're getting a territory typically of an area where they can open up their franchise. And not every franchise is brick and mortar. A lot of them today, and especially because of COVID, are home-based. So there's a lot of different options. And you can be passive or semi-passive. And I, I tell people this too, if you, if you think you're not going to, if you think you're going to buy a franchise and be passive, that's, that's not reality. Yeah. Yeah. At a minimum there are, we have a, we have plenty of executive models where you can bring in a manager Mm -hmm. to run the business, but you're still going to be investing time, five, five hours, 10 hours, maybe 20 hours a week because it's necessary to run a business. I mean, there's no business that runs without management. So exactly. I made the mistake. I looked, everything I looked at was food, right? And mm-hmm. I said, this is too much money because it's easy. I think to just look at food because you're going there and eating the stuff. It's like, oh, right. I could own, I could own one of these. 
That's right. Can you give us an example or two of an industry? I love the home base thing that we're that we could be potentially looking at. You're opening up my eyes here. There's 36 different categories we work with of, of, of franchising. Yeah. All right. I mean, if you just when you drive out your neighborhood, you know, you start looking, start, be, start paying attention. Like, you know how you, when you go to buy a car, all of yeah. a sudden the car you look at is all, you notice there's that same car all over the road. You start doing the same thing in franchise. You'll see that, oh my gosh, that's a franchise. This is a franchise. They're all over the place. One of the sectors that has absolutely taken off, and I'll share what happened with me during COVID, okay. is the home services sector. You think about anything reliant with that, that, that ties to your house, whether it's the roof, the gutters, the, the lawn, the painting, the plumbing, everything that needs to be repaired, that's a tremendous need. And it's usually one person and a truck. They call it truck, truck and a truck. I went through that process during COVID. I had to tear up a driveway. I found a guy with a franchise to do that. And that worked well. When it came down to finding the local person had it, to find the person to replace the driveway, I had a hard time finding that person. And I also needed a fence. And the fence guy ended up talking to three different local fence guys that showed up in a beat up truck. And I went with the middle price, not knowing whether the fence that the the fence that's behind my house, is it going to be standing in three years from now? I'm not quite sure because I don't have any point of reference. Franchising gives you that point of reference. They bring the systems and processes to a very, very fractured industry when it comes to the home services sector. They bring the marketing to the home services sector. They bring the sales and promotions part to the home services sector. They bring the call centers. I mean, most people, I mean, how many times did you call somebody and they don't, you're trying to give them business. Yeah. You need the roof or you need the gutters and <laughs> you call and you don't get a call for a day, two, three, maybe you don't get the call back at all. Yeah. That's typical. So the bar is set low in that industry. And that's why when you can roll in with branding, roll in with systems and processes, you can take over a market and really do well in that market. And the margins are significant. I mean, you're looking at 15 to 20 percent plus or more in some uh, even higher. So uh, it just depends upon how well the person runs their business. If you follow the systems and the processes, I mean, this is a big block for a lot of people because they just don't know how to be business owners, right? So you, you basically have the blueprint, if you will, mm -hmm. handed to you. All the stuff that people can't, that, that, that avoid, like, hey, I can't do that, all that stuff. Well, it's done right. for you. I love the thing about that you said about veterans. That makes total sense. So if I follow all the steps and I do what I'm supposed to do, what is what is it that might be a separator or a differentiator from this franchise E is doing very well and this one isn't? What do we really need to do as the owner of the franchise? A couple of things. One is the work ethic of that person. Mm -hmm. Two, their ability to follow. Not everybody is meant to be in the franchise. Some people need to be, not, if they're looking at getting out of their job, they need to be look at maybe considering being a true an entrepreneur if they really have. And, and I think I qualify that too. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a unique product that's going to cut through all the noise and you have to know how to market that product in a unique way to yeah. get the attention that's needed to be successful in that business. And if you're that personality, a franchise may not be for you because you're going to have this, the, the, more of the rigidity of the systems and processes that help you guide you. Most people, I call that the shark tank test. If you get to the carpet, your chances are you're gonna, you're, you're really a genuine entrepreneur at the heart. And, I, and I'll say this, not every entrepreneur is destined to become a franchisor. 
mm-hmm. but every franchisor helps to create entre- entrepreneurs through franchise. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and then again, not everybody's meant to be a franchisee either. They have got to, to be successful. They got to understand the systems and processes have been tested. They work. And there's a reason for that. And that's why these, 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 these systems uh, can grow to thousands of units because yeah. they work. they've been tested, they've been vetted. So those that put the playbook to use the best are usually the most successful. And look, when you look at, when you're, st- and you brought something important, when somebody's considering starting a business, mm-hmm. think about all the details you, you just mentioned, all the little minutia details to get going in a business. It's, it's a lot of work. It's, t- it's a lot of figuring out. It's a lot of time spent. You're given the, to use your word, you're given a playbook when you get a friend, when you invest into a franchise, into, yeah. into a franchise and that playbook, I use the analogy for football. I mean, if you're, if you're starting on the one year line, starting a front business, you're going, you work, you, you're going through the grind to get to the, the red zone. You're getting, you're starting in the red zone with the playbook in hand as a franchisee. Oh, that's a great analogy. I love that one. I make a lot of sports references. All right. So 4,000 franchises, you said mm-hmm. 75 to 300 K is the average that you're looking at. How do mm-hmm. I, how do we pick? How do we decide which is a good, which is a good one? I bet you that court, you get asked that question. I get that asked a lot. And that's why people end up talking to consultants like myself. Yeah. It's confusing. The, 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 the moment somebody starts going online, there's so much information overload. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what to trust. Mm-hmm. As a franchise consultant, um, I'm, there's not that many of us in the United States. I mean, if you look at real estate agents, there's probably four or 5,000 real estate agents just in the city of New Orleans. If you look at franchise consultants, there's probably, I'm guessing about 5,000 of us around the United States. Yeah. So our, our role is very niche, very specific. It's not that we just know the franchises to turn to. We know which, which one's behind the curtain. We get behind the curtain information, relationships. We know the franchisors. We get to build those relationships. That way we can better educate the person. And we go through a process. And I, and this is something I just started doing. And I just started doing personality profiles. I call it business, business builder personas. Mm-hmm. People need to understand what their persona is to match it. You know, you've heard disc tests and mice breaks. We, we use a system that breaks it down uh, specifically for franchises. And it actually works with business too. But we help work that person through that process. So the process is they start with an initial phone call. And that initial phone call is just gauge the interest to see where they are. Do they qualify? Mm -hmm. The second call, we're going to walk through their personality. And we're going to understand their interest. And we're going to go through a questionnaire that has all the different classifications of franchises. Because a lot of times they, they walk into this thinking food. Or they walk into it thinking whatever it is. And they end up doing something that's not even related to what they initially thought because they, their, eye, their eyes have been opened through the process. And then once we go through that process, I have an understanding of uh, myself or any other franchise consultant has an understanding, how can they help this person find the right, right match, get into their first franchise. That process gives us the ability to go do the research for them. And this is where it's important because you might go look at one franchise. You may have looked at Jimmy John's and they were not available in your market. And you're like, oh, well, now what do I do? Yeah. You got, it's like, you got to start over scratch for everyone. We do that research for you, but we do it with, we, we go look at 15 or 20 different brands that are going to come. So the, the initial search is probably going to bring 15 or 20 different brands that are available in the areas of interest to that person. 
Then I go back and do the territory check to see, okay, what's available in their local market that they want to invest in. That begins the process. And then we'll we'll identify probably seven or eight brands that make sense to them. If they like what they see, then I'll make the introduction to the franchisor. Great explanation. This may be difficult for you to answer because there's so many franchises and variety and differences, but is there maybe like a sweet spot in terms of, okay, I've got this franchise. I don't think a lot of people are just quitting their job and going all in. Maybe they are. Maybe they're doing both, you know, side hustle. Is there kind of a Mm -hmm. sweet spot? Is it number of locations or is it to where they can get to the point where they're replacing their income? It's, well, it's, well, it's one person. Okay. So this is interesting. I'll I'll use the service example. Service, home service is an example. You could do well. I'll use one as a a Canada franchise I work with. I'll I'll give you some numbers just to give you an idea. Do you say accounting? A cat cabinet, 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 home, sorry, cabinets for your house, your kitchen, your bath. Yeah. This one, this one particular company to get into the business is about $189,000 all in turnkey. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, their gross, their average unit volume gross is about $2.3 million. Okay? Per year. Per year. Their gross profit is about 1.1. 1. 1. That's not their net. I don't, I don't have their net for you. And what makes these franchises work, especially in the home sector, is they laser focus on an area. Those that seem to laser focus on a specific task, so they're, they're tech-driven. They're going to go into that house, and again, they're going to have the technology to do the very specific job. And the amazing part is just this franchise requires one person to be the manager starting and one employee. And then they end up building a small team of the hire the hire the staff to come in and help out. It, it's, it literally starts with either the owner or the owner hiring a manager and one other employee. And, it's, and their role is not to be in the business installing cabinets. Yeah. Their is to be running the business, doing the marketing. And most of the franchises, by the way, that we work with, so through the back end support. And that could be a variety of things. That could be, they all get, they, just about all of them do some level of marketing support. Some of them really go deep on the level of marketing support, which is what I find people really don't know what to do. They're not used to marketing. Some of them provide help with the books, depending upon the franchise. Some of them do help provide help with the hiring. Some will help with the, the, the finding the location. If, it, if it's brick and mortar, they're going to help you find the brick and mortar location. They bring all the resources to the table. You're not in this by yourself. That's the key. If you're trying to start out by yourself, you buy your, you're on your own, figuring every little detail out. That going back to that playbook, now you've been given the playbook, you follow the playbook, and then you can execute. And to get going with these businesses, the time frame can be as short as three months, three or four months on a high end. Yeah. If it's a brick and mortar, it's going to be a longer time frame. Like you're looking at Jimmy John's, you're looking at six months to a year because you have to go through the lease, lease negotiations. You have to go through the build out. You have to go through all the different variety of things you got to go yeah, through. Yeah, yeah. Is the business that you describe, the cabinet business, is that home-based? Uh, not yes, and- it's home-based yeah. to start. Well, the, the actual, no, this particular one, there's the one that is from base. This particular one has a small retail front. It's about 1,100 square feet. They don't need, they don't need class A retail space for that. Okay. Got it. Okay. I think a lot of people are going to be interested in, in those numbers. That math looks pretty good to me. Yeah. Um, all right. Quote, next question is this, and I'm, you probably get this all the time. I'm making assumptions here is, okay, well, I don't have 189 grand. Mm-hmm. I don't have 75 grand. Where are people typically getting the money from? So there's three different ways people can raise the money, right? Um, uh, 
a lot of them do require a ca have a cash requirement and that cash requirement can be as low as 15,000. Some can, most of them hover around 50 to a hundred mm -hmm. to cash. It's a liquidity. They want to know you're liquid so you can make the business survive, right? Sure. Then the funding piece comes in and not everybody's going to put all that cash into a business. They're going to go out funding no matter what. So it could be a home equity line of credit. It could be the SBA loan, where it's typically going to be around 20%, maybe 25%. That credit score usually needs to be above a minimum of 680. It's usually going to be above 700 to get to be considered for this. And of course, they can also turn to family and friends. A lot of businesses start that way. Yeah. People partner. So they have options. And, 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 and one more option, 401k rollovers. You can pull out 100% of your, let's say it's $100,000 you need. You can take out $100,000 without any penalties. You're shifting the, the asset. That's all you do it to the business. Let's say it's 200,000. You can roll over 200,000 and still pay no penalties. You'd have the access to the cash. Do people partner up on these uh, often? I find most of the people I work with are themselves or with a family, family member. Got it. But, yeah. but it's not to stop some people. Some people do partner up. There's no question about that. This is super helpful because, again, those were all my questions. Like, yeah, where am I going to get money from? What do I do? And I had no idea that you could, uh, these home-based businesses, I know a lot of them popped up since, since since COVID. Why are people not getting into franchising? Maybe what are some of the objections that you hear sure. that we could overcome? Because, again, there's 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 always opinions. People don't know stuff. When they, they don't understand. They make opinions that are usually unfounded. Sure. Well, some people really want to go in their own business. If they're going to, if they're going to take that leap out of the corporate life, they want to, they want to have total control, right? There's three options people have. One is to, to go that route. Another one is to go the route of buying an existing business. And a lot of people are very, very successful buying an existing business. The biggest challenge there is you have to trust the numbers you've been provided mm -hmm. by the person. And you also have to know the culture of the business you're buying, because if the leadership is that the business is solely dependent upon that leadership and that leadership exits, you got to, you got to challenge. So with the franchise piece, you're going to get, again, you go going back to the system and processes, you you'll be able to walk into that right off the, right out the gate with, with the, with the playbook in hand. Yeah. Going back to your question about the fear, mm -hmm. it's usually the fear. The fear is the number one thing. And I always say fear rob people of their dreams and aspirations more than anything else. Yep. Uh, but look at this. Think about the irony of this. <laughs> People hate selling, right? What are they doing in their first? When I got that job interview, I was selling myself. But I'm talking about going for the ulcer job. I was selling myself to go work in a job. Somebody's going to dictate what I do for 40 plus hours a week. I overcame the fear of that to get that job. But people, but it gets more real when they have to invest money. So there's still that fear. That fear is the number one thing. But once they understand what's possible and they can see beyond, they're not buying a job. They're buying their freedom to make the decisions for their life. That's what they're investing in. And look, this is not a guarantee that they say, oh, I like that franchise. That franchise is going to say, I want to work with you. It's a two-way street. They have to work both. That goes both directions. Right. Because when people look at a franchise, they go through the entire process. That person's interested in the franchise. The franchisor's interested is that person going to help make our make our brand look good or look at, look at, make it look bad. Yeah, 
they make the ultimate decision on awarding the franchise, whether it's one territory, two territories, three territories, however that may be. Yeah. I assume that a lot of the franchises that you're, because that's where my brain is going. It's like, man, how many cabinet uh, franchises can I own with those, with those numbers? Like that's immediately where I, where I go. And, yeah. and how often does that happen? Well, they can expand the territory. They can go further out. Yep. Okay. Or some of the franchise systems we work with have multiple brands. So what I mean by that, they might have a franchise that does cabinets. They might have a franchise that does fencing. They might have a franchise that does roofing. Well, what we can do in that scenario is instead of going geographically wide, they could say in their same geography, if there's other brands within that same system are available, and they can start stacking the franchises because they're already going to be using the back of house systems, the, the software and the technology that, that they use to manage their business that's already available to them. They'll be familiar with that. And all they have to do is introduce the new brand in the relationship that relationships they've built in the, inside their own community and they can they can leverage that awesome franchise stacking first time i've heard that yes okay as i think a lot i'm assuming that a lot of, of the franchisees will maybe have one two and they'll, they'll work in it right they'll they'll manage it but they'll be you know they'll be in it i always think okay like how can i and, and a lot of listeners might be thinking the same thing how can I turn this into a business, continue to scale it? And I'm just, I'm really just kind of overarching it and just managing everything and making sure that nothing crumbles. If I go on vacation for three months, three weeks, nothing dies. Is that a, is that a realistic scenario? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you're, but you're building that team and you're relying on the systems and processes to support that. Yeah. Okay. Good. And, and, and think about it. I mean, no matter what franchise you looked at, whether it, was, whether it was Jimmy John's, if you wanted to have one, you might be in there to start to learn the business yourself if you want to do that. Or, and then, but if you're going to grow the business and you're going to have two of them, you're going to have to rely on that manager to run it, whether you're on vacation or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Get in there, get your hands dirty, learn the business and teach it. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. I, lo I love what you said about buying your, like everyone's afraid of sales and yeah, you're selling yourself to get the job and then you... And then you have imposter syndrome. You don't think that you're good enough to do the job. It's like, they, they hired you. Okay. Yep. They saw the value in you. So go yep. do the job. Well, same thing here. Like if the franchise or says, yes, they obviously believe in you. So you got to get over that, right? You got to get over that. We all got to get over those, those fears and those self-limiting beliefs. So I'm, gl I'm glad you brought that up. Buying your freedom. It's good stuff. Mm -hmm. I've learned a bunch. This has been great. You all, I really, I really appreciate your, your insight. If somebody wants to learn more. Where do they go? Tell us how we can get They can go to closethedeal.com and I, I will help them close on their first franchise. We'll walk them through the process. And it's closethedeal.com. And I have the podcast. And I, I'm interviewing both entrepreneurs and franchises. But uh, yeah, go to closethedeal.com. Just hit, hit the contact us button and I will be in touch. Awesome. Anything, anything. I love the podcast too. Anything else that you want to leave us with? I, sometimes I don't ask a question that might be burning and or maybe you got a quote that you like. I mean, give, give us your best stuff as we, as we wrap up here. It, I think you're only as good as your last performance. My wife always says that, you know, and so, some people look at their, 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 their number one thing they did 20 years ago. Well, I'm 57 years old. So many people my age are starting over and you may have been good as your last performance, but that was 20 years ago. Today is a new day. And you got to take advantage of today and don't let the fear hold you back. 
no matter what it is, just step out and take the action. Perfect way to end it. I love that. I wrote that down. Thanks, you all. Appreciate you. Uh, I'm, 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 thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Brian. Definitely. Everyone make it a great day.